if I can hire somebody that can do a job in two hours versus the guy that's going to come in at 6 a.m. and work till 8 p.m., like that guy used to be praised, right? Like, oh man, he's a hard worker. He shows up. He's, he's in on Saturdays. Like we love that guy. That guy, that guy gets promoted. But if I would much rather hire the guy that can do it in two hours and then go chill the rest of the afternoon. Um, if you're getting the same work done, who cares? And, and so we're trying to transition to praising that, that second guy that can get it done in two hours. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mick Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 122 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Chase Warrington, the head of business development for Doist, the company behind the popular task management app Todoist, which at the moment has a team of over 120 people spread across 40 different countries, and they're all fully remote, as you could have guessed. Chase is a longtime digital nomad who has been living in Spain with his wife and dog and joined us for this interview from their van just down the street from the beach in Habia, Spain. During this interview, Chase and I got to discuss how they approach remote work at Doist, and he shared their strategies around communication, community building, and systemization. Chase is also the host of the fantastic podcast About Abroad, which focuses on sharing the stories of people who followed their dreams of living internationally. This was such a fun conversation and I learned a ton from Chase. But before we jump into the interview, I'd love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support us. Reviews are a key statistic that podcasting apps look at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So thank you in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. Without further ado, you guys, let's jump into this fantastic conversation with Chase Warrington. All right, Chase, welcome to the show, man. I'm so excited to have you on here. Mitko, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it feels like it's been a long time coming, so I'm, I'm glad to finally meet face-to-face. Oh, 100%. We were just talking before we hit record how it's completely shocking that we haven't run into each other yet because you're in Spain at the moment. Uh, you're living like, I don't know, like an hour away from where my wife and I were living for a little while. We both spent time in a lot of same places. It's just insane that we haven't run into each other yet. <laughs> It is. Yeah. And likewise, you were just back in my hometown, like in Asheville, North Carolina, roaming around Western North Carolina mountains, which isn't exactly like, you know, on the the uh, digital nomad path always. Right. And you were just there. So, yeah, man. Well, in real life, for sure. One day, this is a nice little uh, nice little stopgap in between. For sure, man. Well, if people aren't familiar with you, uh, you are the head of business development at Doist, which is the company that produces Todoist, which is a very big uh, kind of to-do app and a big company in remote. Uh, And you also run an awesome podcast. So tell us a little bit before we kind of like jump into everything else, because 
you know, we were kind of like discussing where we want to take this podcast and there's just so much that we can talk about. But one of the things I definitely want to do is like, let's get the niceties out of the way in terms of like what you do, where can people find you? And then because I, I have a feeling this conversation is going to be really fun and take a lot of great uh, turns. Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, so I, as you mentioned, I'm the head of business development at Doist. Um, if anybody's unfamiliar with Doist, we are a fully remote company. We've been fully remote since the, since we've existed for 12 years. And we've got around like in total about 120 people collaborating in this company spread across like 40 different countries. Um, and that covers all time zones. So we've really been like embracing the fully remote thing um, since the beginning. And as part of that, we do a lot of remote work advocacy. We really feel like remote work is the future and like should be accessible to everybody. I think it's kind of an interesting story because our CEO was like a, he was a, he was lived in Bosnia and during the war, he had to like escape as a refugee and like went and like lived in Denmark for a while, lived in Chile for a while. Now he lives in Barcelona. And like, I think when he started hiring people remote, he was like, you know, just, I want everybody around the world to have access to good jobs. And so that's sort of been like baked into the DNA of the company since the beginning. So we do a lot of like promoting remote work, talking about remote work, speaking at conferences and um, helping other teams transition to remote and seeing it as sort of like the democratization of, of opportunity. On a personal level, it's awesome for me because I love to travel. I love to live in other countries. I'm, I'm from the US, but living in Spain now and, um, and yeah, running the running the biz dev side of the company um, from from Spain, but the team spread all over the world. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I launched, you mentioned the podcast, I launched about abroad uh, earlier this year, and it's really focused on just talking to people who are like really settling into other countries, like diving deep into like, how did you like kind of like I did, like I moved to Spain, I've been there for three years, and I had to learn a lot to do that. And so I'm really interested in like, you know, how did you move to Japan from New York? Or how did you move from London to South Africa? Like, what does that look like? And what is life like there now? And then sharing those stories. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of the background, but I'm, I'm like you, I'm like stoked to dive in and see where this thing goes. So you said, you told me before we hit record that you went to Appalachian state, you know, you mentioned that you grew up sort of in like the North Carolina area. That is not like the sort of story that you hear coming out of that area. It's like, oh, I moved to Europe and I'm traveling all over and doing these sort of things. How did you end up, you know, because right now you're in Spain, you're actually joining us from uh, a van, which is dope as hell. Uh, we're just joking about the fact that I'm in my childhood Eastern European bedroom. You're in a van in Spain, you know, like, but how did that end up happening for you? Like, how did you go from what, like, what brought you to, to Spain and kind of joining the whole remote work thing? Yeah, I mean, I was I was always really passionate about traveling and and immersing in other cultures. I when I was in uh, when I was in college, I did like the study abroad thing and did an internship in in China and you know studied in Europe and kept coming back from those experiences. Like, I got to figure out how to like be in uh, be surrounded by other cultures. Like like really even more than travel or sightseeing or like eating new foods. It was like, I just really liked like being around in a multicultural environment. And, and you're right, like in Western North Carolina, like that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, this like melting pot idea. And so like, I mean, I contrast that with 
like today, like I go to my gym today in Valencia and like, I'm in a class with like Brazilians and Argentines and French and Norwegians and my, the trainer speaks five languages, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm that, that is exactly what I was craving. And so I think like, I went through a, a chapter of my career, like my first, the first chapter where I was traveling a lot for work, but it was all domestically. I could live what were you I was doing? working remotely. I was like uh, business development and marketing for a company called J&J, not the big J&J. Um, and I had to live in different states. So like I would live in a state and that state would kind of be like my territory. I would travel all over that region. And um, and I, I enjoyed that, Like, but I, I didn't have the, I had, I could work from home, but I didn't have location independence. I didn't have, you know, deep cultural immersion in other places. And so I really just craved that and just decided like, that's my North star. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to live location independently, kind of transitioned into a, um, a digital nomad phase for a couple of years. We, my wife and dog and I traveled around the world for uh, a few years, working online, running some e-commerce. And then I landed with Doist and have been there for the last five years. How did you discover Doist? Like, were you a user before you were an employee? No, uh, really funny. I was really getting defeated um, because they're just all the remote jobs at that time seemed to be coder jobs. Like you had to be an engineer, a developer. And I, so I was doing tons of research. I was, I was like re reading uh, all the remote companies out there, anybody hiring remote was th these were the type of opportunities available and my wife said let me just take a stab at this and literally in five minutes she went on pinterest which cracks me up to this day and found an article on pinterest like an image that led to an article which was like 70 companies that are hiring for work from anywhere and i went through all co all 70 companies and there were two that were hiring for non-coder jobs and doist was one of them and the job was perfect and, uh, and so that's, that's how I discovered the company. But I, in my interview, I was like, I'm not a tech person. I'm not a, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even a user of your product, but I think I can do this job. And, um, and it all worked out. How long ago was that? That was almost six years ago. Wow. So you said you guys have 120 people over 40 countries, spread out over 40 countries, which is a lot, right? I mean, that's a lot even for if you're in an office, that's a lot of people. And I've experienced running like slightly smaller teams. Uh, you know, I was in charge of like a team of about 25, 30 people. And just that was kind of difficult at times to sort of manage all parts of the ship. What have you learned from like having that big of a team across that many different time zones? Like what is like the the one or two things that you've walked away now, like after all this experience saying like, these are real keys to running teams that are spread out like this. Yeah. I, I think any remote team that has a wide distribution ha has to focus on two things, which are trust and transparency and trust sounds super core to say because it's like of course you have to have trust like you could nobody's going to ever argue with you need trust in an organization but you truly need to focus on like like we we hone in on trusting our coworkers to get work done meaning we don't have to check up on them we don't have to follow up you'll never see somebody say hey you know i need this from you in 10 minutes or hey are you there right now 
Um, we don't track people's hours. We don't, we don't even know where I'm working from my van today down along the, the coast of Spain. And I changed my hours a little bit because I wanted to go uh, paddleboarding this morning and my team doesn't need all the details on that. They just need to know that they need to trust that I'll get my work done today, which I will. Um, and so we, we really hone in on trust and then transparency is the other thing. Like everything has to be super transparent. Information has to be kept in a, in a transparent tool and location that can be accessible 24 seven. And you, if you get information caught up in silos, like emails, a great, uh, a great, you know, example of that, like information trapped in these silos slows these distributed companies down. And especially like do some consulting for companies that are transitioning to remote or to hybrid. And it's like, when you try to apply those old school principles of a traditional office to a remote setting, it just doesn't work. Like it, it doesn't make sense to completely switch up your environment and try to apply old principles. So it takes sort of an intentionality of like, okay, we're going to focus on trust. We're going to focus on transparency asynchronous communication becomes the like core of how you communicate. And from there you can build out your team in, in however works best for you. But those are some, some super core principles, I think. Yeah. Like I think during COVID, especially like when everybody went remote, like everybody was saying these same things, right? Like you got to trust them. They're going to get their job done. Like all of this stuff like kind of sounds good. And like you said, like nobody's going to be like, oh, I don't promote trust in the company, right? Like everybody's going to be like, trust is great. All that kind of stuff. But I'm seeing so many people that are like burnt out on remote work. And a lot of like, when I talk to some of these people, it's almost like, well, of course you're burnt out. Of course this this didn't work because you just tried to replace every meeting with a Zoom meeting and you tried to do work exactly like you're doing it in the office just from home. And like, of course, it's not going to work, right? So in the real world, what does that look like? Like when you say that you do consulting with companies, like how do these things actually like come into being? Like how do you help companies that are kind of going through this struggle really transition from like, hey, we're this old school corporation or company that was running things the really old way to now we need to actually move into the remote setting like how does that actually look like in the real world yeah yes yes like so many there's like that's one question with like so many good little questions within it that i want (laughs) to i hope we can get to all of them because it's it's super fascinating to me like one of one of those things is separating work from life and like not getting into work-life balance or work-life rhythm or whatever you should have but just legitimately like you just transitioned during a worldwide pandemic to a sudden work from home situation. And that's not remote working. That's working from home during a pandemic when your kids are working, when your kids are doing their school there, and maybe you had to move in with your parents and your spouse is also working right behind you and you don't have a space set up for remote work. Like you haven't optimized the situation. So dude, it's so funny. (laughs) I just tweeted this out saying for like the billionth time working from home during the pandemic is not the same thing as working remotely and being location independent. Exactly. Like it's not like I, I spent, I've been working remotely for 12 years and the first six years I had like no clue what I was doing. Like I was not setting up my day. My, I wasn't optimizing for my productivity, my workspace very day to day. Like I didn't apply any like good basic principles to 
to how I'm working. So if I had made, had to make that transition during a pandemic, suddenly, you know, when the whole company's not optimized for this, it, it would just be a disaster. So, um, so I think that's like, that's really important. And that's a, that's a great point to make to these companies because they come frantic, right? Like the, the CEO or, or the, the COO shows up and is like, we, we are horrible at this, man. Like we, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what tools to use. All we know is we have Zoom, we have email, and we just ask everybody to be on Zoom all day so we know they're working. And I'm, I'm trying to track their hours, but I don't know how to do that. And so, the, like, I always advise, like, back up multiple steps there and like first of all let's stop tracking hours let's stop let's stop focusing on the inputs and start focusing on deliverables like if you if you try to track people and create this like surveillance state you're just going to push everybody into a zone where they're going to burn out they're going to work all the time their work lives in their home now man like you can't you can't for you're going to put them in a situation where they feel like they have to work 24 7 and they mm -hmm. will um and so i think just creating these boundaries is like 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 I see it as our job as leaders at Doist and the leaders of companies that are transitioning to remote. Like there's so much data that says you will, your employees are much more likely to work overwork while they're working remote than they will underwork. So your job is actually just to keep them from burning out because they're going to be productive in this space for the most part, you know, not everybody, but for the most part, people are going to be more productive. So start with again coming back to like trust start with trusting that you've got good people that they're adults and that they're going to get their work done especially if you just focus on the deliverables and then everything else kind of takes care of itself yeah i actually uh, and people who've listened to this podcast probably have heard me talk about this before but i had a friend when the pandemic hit and she you know the company transitioned to remote and she said one of the things they had implemented was um mouse movement tracking. So if you didn't move your mouse a certain amount of times in a minute or whatever, they would dock your pay. And I was like, talk about just like a ticking time bomb for this company and all of its employees. Dude, okay, I would love to comment on that, man. The first remote worker that I knew was my mom. She managed like 20 years ago to get an insurance company to hire her as a nurse to work from home uh, work remotely and she worked out flex flex uh, hours she only worked four days a week it was like I don't know how you sold them on this mom um, <laughs> but she uh, she had mouse tracking so like if her mouse didn't move her boss knew and if she wanted to go to the bathroom like she had to like ask permission oh and my God. I mean so I, maybe I'm really passionate about this because I saw it like it was it was toxic for her. Like it seemed awesome on the surface. Cool. You get to work yeah. from home. Nobody was working from home. You get flex hours like that's great. But it was terrible. Her her mental health took a huge turn. And um, so maybe I'm like subconsciously kind of passionate about this for for that reason. But in any case, yeah, I think it's doable to without the uh, uh, without the civilian state for sure. So. Tell me a little bit about how companies can transition away from a time-based system, because I 100% agree with that. Like, I think that it just, it doesn't take a lot of thinking to realize why that's not a good idea, because like my time, the way that I use my time compared to the time that you use, the way that you use your time to a third person is completely different, right? Like we all work on completely different productivity, like maybe like 
one hour of your time is equal to two hours of my time today and tomorrow. It's, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So it's far better to be like focused on like results oriented, like, Hey, how many results did you actually deliver today? But that is a much more difficult way to track things, right? Like we almost like we almost resort to time because it's a lot easier to track. So how do companies big or small do that? Like focus on paying based on results and not on time spent. It's super interesting because different, like there, there are more than one way to achieve this goal. I, I just had a conversation with uh, Liam Martin uh, two days time ago, Doctor. the CEO of Time Doctor. Yeah. And he's super data driven. Um, like he, he at time doctor and running remote, they're very, very data driven. And, um, and there we're a very similar size company. They're fully distributed. We're fully distributed. We both have, they've got, you know, around the same number of employees, a little bit more than we have. Um, and we go about this in two totally different ways. So we have at Duis, we have three metrics, like literally there are three numbers that we focus on across the entire company. And there are North star metrics and everything ties back to those metrics. Um, so everything we're doing, like the activities that get us to those goals, like if we say we want to 2x one of those numbers, um, then like everything we do in on our individual teams, our individual day-to-day should tie back to, to that, to that goal. And it makes tracking what we're doing much less important. It's more about what, what are we delivering? What are, what is the, how is the outcome? And so I think that's like, that's the doest way, right? That's that works for us at time doctor. They track like everything, like literally they're a, they're a time tracking software. So it makes sense. Um, but they're very, I mean, every little activity has like an ROI attached to it and that works for them. They're super successful. Um, so I guess there's like, you know, more than one way to skin a cat here sort of thing. Like you can go about it in multiple different ways, but for us, boiling it down to a few metrics and, and making those measurable, you know, doing the whole smart thing with making them specific and measurable and being able to say yes or no, we did this has worked really well for us. And I've, I would also say we were, we sucked at this, like for a long time, we were totally just going by the, like, like gut feeling on a lot of things. Let's try this. Let's try that. And, um, and, and kind of subjectively seeing if it worked or not. And as long as the trajectory of the company was positive, we were happy, but that, that works fine when you're 20 or 30 people. But when you get up to a hundred plus, you have to start putting some, some, uh, order in. Yeah. When I had Liam on, on the show, one of the things that really surprised me because I was kind of expecting him to come in from like, I know you must be tracking time. Everybody must be, you know, cause like that's what they do. But the thing they said was like, actually everybody's like salary based or something like that. Uh, and they use the data, like you said. So like, Hey, if you can get the same output in 10 hours that everybody else is getting in 30 hours, then we want to know because that's great for you, but like, what are you doing that we can tell everybody else to do? Right. So it's like, it's not necessarily about like, Oh, you work 10 hours. So we're going to pay you whatever it is times 10. It's, Oh, this is interesting. Like, how are you using your time? Maybe like if you are not doing as well as everyone else in terms of your outputs, then like, why is that? Like, let's look at where you're spending your time. Oh, well, you're spending five hours at work while everybody else is spending eight or whatever, then maybe you need to up your hours. So the data is helpful. It just doesn't necessarily mean that you should base how much somebody is paid based on that. Uh, I'm exactly. curious. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because 
I kind of go back and forth on this in terms of like what's going to happen in terms of payment, because I, you know, I don't think being paid by the hour is the smartest or most efficient way to value someone's uh, performance. But I feel like there's these two eventualities, right? I'm assuming at Duist, everybody's paid on like a salary. And then you just like, hey, here's kind of like what the goals are that you need to hit based on that salary. But at the same time, I, I see that happening more and more. And with more companies going remote, I think a lot more pay is going to happen in a salary way. But at the same time, we have this other side of it where it's everything is becoming gigified, right? It's everything mm-hmm. is becoming gigified. Is maybe not the right word, but it's a like gig work. Where do you think those two things end up? Like, where do they sort of run into each other? What happens with people who are paid hourly? Like, where do you see this kind of this battle of the payment plan, so to say, ending up in the next four <laughs> years? Uh, that's a great question. I, I wish I had a like a, a nice clean answer because I totally don't. Um, it's this is a it's a bit of a cluster, right? Like, like what is gonna happen in this area? Because this is one of those things we've been doing for a long time. You you guessed correctly, like you know, we're salary plus bonus in for as far as incentives go to like help the company grow. Um, and all that's based off of uh, like a percentage of your salary. So we're very salaried, but then we also have um, about 20 freelancers that we work with on an hourly basis. Um, for the most part, some of them have fixed contracts, but um, for the most part, they're hourly or they're getting paid on a per unit uh, expenditure basis. And so how we how we evolve from that, it, it feels antiquated, right? Like it feels like, like we're, we're preaching this way in which like, if I can hire somebody that can do a job in two hours versus the guy that's going to come in at 6am and work till 8pm, like that guy used to be praised, right? Like, oh man, he's a hard worker. He shows up. He's, he's in on Saturdays. Like we love that guy. That guy, that guy gets promoted. But if I would much rather hire the guy that can do it in two hours and then go chill the rest of the afternoon, um, if you're getting the same work done, who cares? And and so we're trying to transition to praising that that second guy that can get it done in two hours. And so that is the cornerstone of how we're working. But then at the same time, we're still paying people on an hourly basis. And and so I'm not sure how that evolves, man. It has to. It has to. It has to get better. Um, but I'm not sure where it goes. Like I, I wish I had a good answer. Yeah, I think actually now that while we were talking, I thought about this. The first time that I ran into that idea in like a proper work setting was um, I was working for a web development agency and I was learning a little bit of code around it. And the the thing that I was told there was um, the best developer is a lazy developer because they don't want to do as much writing. They don't want to write as much code. And the simpler the code is, the better it is, right? And so it's like a lazy developer tends to be the best <laughs> developer. And like when I heard that, I was like, shit, maybe I should become a developer because like that seems to work really well with me, you know? But <laughs> So I think that there's almost this, this like idea of like the way that web dev and coding and technology in general is moving more and more into our life, both as individuals and as companies that we're starting to realize that like, Hey, the guy that's coming in on Saturdays and like burning the electricity for the AC because it's taking him 30 hours to get this thing done, as opposed to the guy who comes in is like, all right, let's do this the simplest way possible and knocks it out in two hours. Right? Like that's actually the better way, but it almost took this like view of everything from the tech background to see that. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was baked into us early. Like, you know, we learned like, you know, work hard, play hard. And like the early bird gets the worm and all these like cliche, you know, tokens of how we're supposed to be good employees. And, and it's very like in retrospect, it's very robotic and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And it totally doesn't flow with the way that, you know, people like you and I, and those that are listening to this show want to live. So I'm happy to see that the evolution happening before us but um but it's a it was a weird way to grow up like like believing those things to be like oh that's how you achieve that's how you succeed in life so the big i think um how can i put this if somebody's listening to this that doesn't agree with you or is like oh well, this works for you guys it won't work for us is you guys are a product company right like you're not going out there and like charging by the hour for what you do. You have a product that people pay for on a monthly basis, yearly basis or whatever. So some people would say, well, it's easy for you to say that you don't need to track time because your deliverable is not based on time spent on a job or whatever. How can other companies that are tied more in terms of like a service, uh, consultants, freelancers, how can they develop more of this or agencies, for example, right? It's how can they apply more of the kind of, uh, ideas and work styles that you're talking about to their work if they're not a product company? Yeah, I've seen some some agencies going in this direction where they're going more like outcome tie, like the the price is tied to the outcome rather than the hours put in. Um, but I like I have friends that run agencies or work in agencies uh, or consultancies <clears throat> where they're, they're still, they're, most of them are hourly basis. And the ones that have transitioned a little bit or trying to transition to more of like, if we deliver this, it will cost this, are they're having some, I think they're having some challenges with pitching that because people still want to know what, uh, what kind of, you know, how much is this taking from you to do this? We we're we're tied to that uh, mentally still, but um, I think it can be done. I mean, I know a consultancy company that's, that's a fully remote consultancy company that helps other companies become remote and and they're pushing this initiative and it's working well for them like the the companies are saying yeah if you can get us to that deliverable then it's certainly worth 20 grand or 30 grand or whatever the price is so um i i will say like i'm a big skeptic of like throwing a blanket across every sector and trying to say like you know this is the way like there are a lot of people that will say, you know, oh, remote is the way, or we're talking about like uh, tying deliverable to hours or, or, or cost to hours or the deliverable, like maybe, maybe these th- blanket statements don't work for everybody, but if we're painting broad strokes, I think these can be steps in the right direction to like get us to where we need to be to make work more rhythmic with our, with our lives. Yeah. I mean, I think it also depends on like how leveraged you are, right? I mean, if you're a consultant or a freelancer and you're charging 250 bucks an hour, 300 bucks an hour, and you're like, I don't care. I'll pay by the hour and I'll work three hours in a day. Like, hell yeah. Like, that's great. Yeah, right. But that's great. Uh, you know, so I don't think, like you said, I don't think it needs to be a blanket statement. I think it's just sort of like, uh, yeah, like it just, I, I just think that there is some place in the middle and you need, this is something that you need to think about as a company or a solopreneur or whatever it is, is like, Hey, I don't like, you shouldn't be making people to work 10 hours uh, a day and paying them by the hour. If their output 
is like equal to somebody who's putting in two hours a day, but having the same outputs, right? Like that just doesn't make sense. And you need to consider all of those things, you know, when you're building your company or your business or your service. But I want to talk a little bit about, we kind of jumped over this and I think it's a really important thing to talk about. You mentioned asynchronous communication and then having transparency in the documentation operation. So this was something that when I was the agency, this is what I spearheaded for like two and a half years was making this happen in our company. So I'm very curious, what have been your solutions at Doist around having asynchronous communication? Let's start with that and then we'll work on the other stuff afterwards. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so interestingly, I think we, so we were a company like almost every tech company running completely on Slack for many years. Um, and that's where we, Slack is great. It, it provides the transparency piece, which like to put that in like, super layman's terms like it's one place where everybody can go to chat and have conversations it's not like email that where you know maybe you and i are having an email conversation and lou and stacy next to us are having another email conversation and it's hard to bring people into the same place um slack provides that transparency and uh, it's awesome for that it's awesome for team communication in a lot of ways but what we found as a remote team was that it didn't really lend itself well to asynchronous communication which um is just, you know, basically not expecting uh, an immediate response, right? So like in a, a co-located setting where everybody's working in the same time zone or similar time zones, if we're all communicating during the same rough eight hours per day, it's not really an issue um, to have flowing conversations happening throughout the day. Everybody can see what's going on. Everybody's working at the same time. But for us, we had people spread across all time zones. And so we'd wake up and see our Slack like, I'd go, I'd spend like two hours reading through conversations that were happening between my counterparts in Asia while I was sleeping. And I'm like, I just wasted two hours of my day. I didn't need to do anything here. Um, so it wasn't working for us. So we, we built a product called Twist, um, which we now, we built it for us, but now we sell it to other teams. And like almost 100% of our customers have uh, a heavy remote tendency in their company. So they're heavily leaning towards distributed. Um, but it's a it's a basically a tool built for asynchronous communication. So it's like a team communication product specifically focused on asynchronous communication, which just means slower conversations, slower response times, fewer notifications, um, fewer no no like presence indicators. Um, we're not we're trying to actually do the antithesis of what a lot of products do, which is like suck you in and keep you in the product and we're saying no get out <laughs> and just step back in every now and then and and check on check in on your notifications um and your messages and then get back out and so that's worked really well for us and like making async the core of how we do everything like we default to asynchronous in every single way in which we communicate we never expect immediate responses we have the saying like if everything's urgent, then nothing's urgent. So you can't make everything urgent. So we're just like, you'll never see somebody say like, Hey, I need that in 10 minutes, you know, or I'm going to need to, I'm going to need you to turn this around quickly. Um, it's just not part of the culture. And we also like push back on meetings. So if you have, you'll never see people saying like, Hey, let's just hop on a meeting and chat this out real quick. Like we try to do everything asynchronously and that keeps things transparent. It keeps things visible to everybody across the company and documented to be able to access later. 
Yeah, it's funny thing about the meetings was that I came up with a rule recently where I say, if I ever have the feeling that I want to say, hey, let's jump on a Zoom call and talk about this, I, I first challenge myself with, can I get this done with a loom? So like, yeah. that's been like a really fun challenge of like sending looms back and forth or like commenting on looms as opposed to like, hey, like, like let's just, you know, bang this out in the Zoom call real quick or whatever. Um, tell me a little best, bit more. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about Twist because I checked out Twist and to me, visually design wise, what it looks like is like if Todoist and Slack met and had a baby, it's what Twist <laughs> would look like kind of. So tell me about how exactly do you make Twist into a more asynchronous communication tool when I think the idea of Slack was to be that in the beginning, right? Is that, hey, we can have channels and we can have conversations in those channels so that nobody feels left out. So it's almost like that was the idea of Slack. So how do you take the idea of Slack doing this that maybe didn't work out super well and actually make it truly asynchronous? So I, I think any tool could be asynchronous if you were to have the right principle the company that say, you know, let's, let's move, let's be asynchronous. Um, but certain tools lend themselves more to chat, which I would define as like, you know, like instant communication, instant chat back and forth, which I think Slack uh, handles really well. And, at the, and then there's others that will lend themselves more to asynchronous communication. So you could, you could accomplish the both uh, with either tool. It just depends on which one you want to use. But I think one makes it, you know, some tools make it easier, some tools make it more difficult. And what I would say is like Twist was built with the threaded conversation at the core of the product. It's actually like literally in the middle of the product. Mm. And whereas with Slack, it, the thread was added on later, like actually after we launched Twist. Um, I'm not saying Slack copied us by any means. They probably don't even know who we are. Uh, but um, they added the thread to the conversation. And if, if you, I mean, I work in Slack, you know, in lots of, of uh, groups and, you know, like communities and things like that. So I'm, I'm in Slack almost every day. And the, the thread to me in Slack is very messy. It's, yeah. it, it's hard to keep things topic focused and like clean. It's very focused on the channel. So as a practical use case, like I would wake up in the morning, I would go to, let's say the marketing channel at Doist and there would be five conversations happening in the marketing channel not just it's intertwined like all over the place yeah intertwined yeah and like people referencing comments like from 30 lines up and stuff and so the reason that twist helps us really focus on async <clears throat> is we can give a specific topic to every conversation so every conversation has its thread and everything lives there and so instead of having 40 comments in a thread you might have five and it just makes it very searchable and easy to to stay attached. And then I also think that helps us cut down on notifications because like I don't feel like I need to notify everybody just in case. I notify just the core people that need to know in that particular comment and we'll loop people back in later. It's actually so funny that you talk about the threads in Slack because I was like, I started really pushing threads in Slack in our company. And I was like, Hey, we need to do this. Like, it's becoming too messy. Like, you know, you can't all these kind of things. And everyone pushed back on it. And even I had to say like, I am, I don't think this is that nice, but we need to do it because we're growing, but then like to follow the conversations. And so I can totally see how Slack is almost like not necessarily like it's almost like an add-on as opposed to it being the core feature in order to make it easy. But 
you know, you, you said that everything's really organized. And every topic has its own conversation, but sometimes topics arise out of free conversation, right? So is there like a way that you're talking with somebody and you're like, Hey, like, I almost think this is becoming a new thing and we need to spin it out into its own sort of thread. Like, how does that work? Yeah, we, that, that happens a lot. You're, you're hundred percent correct. Um, so like in our case, we have like a, a linking mechanism where we're like, Hey, moving, moving this thread to this channel or starting a new thread to reference this conversation and doing like a, a backlink sort of, um, concept, but which isn't like super groundbreaking or anything, but it's just, it's the way that it works for us because that does happen all the time. Like things start to dovetail and part of the culture of the company and some of the advising we do to other companies is like stop those rabbit trails from happening before they start, because that's where it can, it can still get messy. Like in a, in a thread, a conversation can go off and five conversations can be happening within a single thread. So yeah, we push people to like start, that's a new topic, new thread and bake that into the, to the way we communicate. The other side of asynchronous work, asynchronous communication, in my opinion, are like the docs and like, where do you keep your procedures of how things get done? Because like you said, like, Hey, if there's somebody on the other side of the world, they can't wait for you to wake up in order to get an answer on something. So I've seen 101 different ways to handle this from a very terrible idea to, re- to a really great idea. So how do you guys handle that? Like, what's your approach around that? We suck at this, man. We're, it's, it's so funny you bring it up. We're, we're like really bad at it and we're trying to get better. Um, a lot of startups, you know, we're like, you're built, you know, this Midka, like they're, they're built with, you got a couple people in a room together, just throwing ideas around, changing buttons, moving, moving features. And it's like, you, you don't, you're not worried about documentation. You're not worried about like, uh, like referencing things later. You're just, you're building the airplane while it's in the air. And that's that gets kind of like that's becomes part of the identity of the company until a certain point it works fine um so that's been the case for us like we we were just like oh yeah we should be like documenting this stuff and having it in your chat tool works to a point but then when you really need documentation it it doesn't uh it falls apart so we use github for this which is less than ideal in my opinion i wouldn't recommend it honestly um but we use GitHub. We have a handbook uh, that we'd love to make public, like GitLab's done, and um, and just share, you know, all of our how how we do everything. But it, it works fine in GitHub. We basically just have a a dedicated place for all documentation, and each department has um, a dedicated space. And so we're constantly building that out. And that, that's been like an initiative in the last two years or so. But I talk to when I talk to my friends who are like remote work consultants or. Uh, helping companies like they're truly their day-to-day is converting teams to uh, remote teams. Like they say, this is the biggest challenge they face documentation. And it's, it's hard to imagine why that's so difficult because there are great tools for it out there um, supposedly, but it's still a, a very big problem for, for distributed teams in particular, I think. Yeah. I mean, from personal experience, I think the issue is, that you go too far like you like i think like really good procedures need to be the wireframe that hold everything together they don't necessarily need to answer 
like all the questions because then it doesn't like you said like as a company you you might have this like thing of like hey we, we kind of move on the fly and like things change all the time and as part of your identity that needs to start needs to stay part of your identity but you need scaffolding to hold it all together and so finding that like happy medium that's like does enough of that but doesn't restrict your freedom is like really hard and takes a lot of back and forth and like i've even seen this thing where it's like you know i did some consulting around this and there were companies that wanted me to create SOPs for them. And I'm like, I, it, they're like, they're like, Oh, don't you just sell them ready? And I was like, what do you mean? Don't I just sell them right? Like, that's not like a thing. Like you can't just sell a $49 SOP and think that they're going to work for every company. Right. Like it's all very much like, Hey, like, let's figure out how this works for you. How does everything tie in together? So uh, it's, but it's actually funny when you said about, you know, kind of throwing ideas together. I thought this was a really good idea. Uh, I've been listening to a podcast recently called Made You Think. Have you ever heard of it before? No, no. It's it's actually, they're not uploading new content anymore, which is really sad because it's a fantastic podcast between uh, Nat Eliason. I don't know if you know Nat uh, and his friend Neil Sani, but they essentially do these like book reviews and they just like shoot the shit for like two hours on these books and get really into it. It's fantastic. I recommend anybody um, go and check it out. But what Neil Sani said was that, uh, one of the things that he implemented when he was working at, um, Estee Lauder was that any time that he made a decision that was a bit out of the blue, right? Like, Hey, we're going to change things. We're going to actually move these things around or whatever. He had to write a memo explaining why he did it. Because a lot of times like, everybody was like, why are you doing this? Like we've been doing it this other way for the last three years and now you're coming in here and changing it. And he noticed that by him writing out this memo of why he was doing it, he almost like rationalized it better for himself because sometimes your gut tells you that you should do it, but you can't exactly explain why. And actually this process of like writing it out, not only explain it to everyone else, but then also kind of like helped explain it to him better as well. Uh, So I thought that was a really interesting tactic to implement. It's super interesting. Did it did it ever change his mind? I wonder. Did they mention like did he ever like go, go through the memo writing process and then be like, actually, I'm not gonna do this. I, he, I don't think that he necessarily said that, but what he did say was that uh, sometimes when he was writing it out, he would recognize that he was leaving a very open space for somebody to be like, but have you thought about this? And he would go and change what he did because he had realized that this thing was something they could bring up. For example, as like a you know, a, a different way to do it or like a possible plot hole or whatever. So uh, I thought that was interesting. We, it's funny. We added this uh, one small step to our, we have the system we call the do system. It's like our doest objectives. It's our project management system, essentially like how we get things done uh, cross collaborating with other teams. And we added this one step to the spec writing process of like, like, you have to create a spec for any project that you want to implement and lead and collect a team to, to go after some initiative. And we added to the top of the, the very first thing you have to put is what is the problem I'm trying to solve? And just answering that question in like two sentences. And by adding that, like we cut out, like it forced so many of us to rethink these proposals we were putting together and like cut back on doing stuff just to do stuff. And that was, it was actually like a big game changer for, for us in terms of like creating real impact and, and doing things like not just to do things, but to like really create impact. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting, like just going through that process of like writing it out can 
make you rethink things and I think kind of lead you to, to coming up to better solutions. Yeah, it's one of those things where the first step was always first, and I copied this from GitHub actually thing, but it was like, hey, what is the goal of this document? What is the goal of this process? And I think it's almost like every single time that you're doing this, you're like, oh, let me just type out two sentences, like, like yeah. let me get past this. But it is actually really important because it can almost like really zero you in on like, okay, what do I want this to accomplish? Not just like, let me write down the steps on doing this, you know? Um Tell me a little bit about community at Duist because that's one of the really hard things, right? Is like when you're working remotely, it can be a lot more difficult for you to build relationships with the person that you're working with every single day, as opposed to like when you're in an office and you're grabbing lunch or drinks after work with the person, you know, down the hall from you. So how are you guys, you know, tackling that and making sure that you're forming a cohesive, you know, group and team kind of feeling? I love this question. It's something I've become literally fascinated by uh, in the last like year or so um, and really trying to take the lead on at, at Duist because I think it's super important. Um, actually, like I know this will air in a week or so, but like this week right now, I'm running a, a topic, like a ongoing conversation in Slack with the running remote community, which um, running remotes an awesome organization to check out for anybody that's not familiar with them, like for anybody wanting to transition a team to to uh, remote um, about this exact subject, like with other remote leaders, like how do you guys create culture and camaraderie? And I just did a webinar on it like two days ago where there was like a hundred people tuning in, asking tons of questions like, how do you do this? We we can't create create culture. We have no team camaraderie. People are just sitting in their little silos not connecting with each other. We've lost the happy hours and the ping pong tables. Um, so it's a, it's a real problem. And it's something else that I think we were not very good at at Duist, um, especially being so like anti-meeting, very asynchronous focus, very like put everything in chat, um, in text, you know, so it doesn't create a lot of opportunity for human, uh, human interaction. And we're, we're social beings, but like we crave having those, uh, those interactions with our teammates. So it's important to try to foster and it's in admittedly challenging when you're spread across the globe. So a handful of things that we do, um, and, and I would be glad, like if anybody's listening, if you want to find me on LinkedIn or, or reach out to me, I can share these, uh, slides with you that I just did with the webinar. Cause I go into detail and like, here are the specific, like 20 activities that we're doing um to uh to, to foster culture at Duist, but like some of them are we actually do synchronous meetups in normal times we get together twice a year for a co-located event one as a whole company another as like just our core team so we meet up in some corner of the world and and all hang out together for for a week at a time so about every six months i'm actually seeing my teammates um we also do mentoring trips so when somebody new is hired onto the team we fly them to uh, they get assigned a mentor and they go spend a week with their mentor working together in the, uh, mm. in the mentor's hometown. Um, Love that. And then we do it. Yeah. It's, it's, that was a big, a big game changer for us. Like new, new people. It's, it can be daunting joining a hundred people that you've never seen before. And maybe you're going to spend six months working in this environment where you've never met one person. Like it could be, it could be a little overwhelming. So that's been a big one for us to make people feel like, okay, I'm in already. Um, but we've started doing little things like we uh, we built out a series of channels within Twist, which are dedicated to 
conversations and topics that are more outside work. So we have like a travel channel and uh, you know parenting channel, coffee channel. I nerd out on that one all the time. Um, you know, photography, whatever. Like just tons of channels where people can asynchronously communicate with each other and share a lot about topics that are outside of work. We do some virtual meetups and presentations. Um, we started doing this thing called Doist Presents where we somebody volunteers to do something like, okay, I'm gonna lead a cooking class. Somebody led like an udon noodle cooking class or, a, or work out together or a meditation or a yoga session or whatever. Um, so there's there's a lot like we're, we're putting a lot of effort into this and I'll, it's something that I'm really interested in pushing further at Doist because I think it's something that got neglected for a long time. And, uh, and I think we can, we can definitely do better. And it's, it's important. Like if you want the long-term success, if you're looking at it as like a marathon and not a sprint, you have to, you have to see these things as part of the workday, I think. Yeah. I think we haven't gotten there, but in the next 10 years, we're going to see this renaissance of companies that essentially help remote companies do this where I think there's going to be, there's so many companies that I can already name off that do some sort of like in-person get together a couple times a year, you know, whether it's you guys or empire flippers or buffer or probably a hundred other ones I can't think of right now. Uh, and I think that there's a, if anybody's listening, I think there's a real opportunity for somebody or a couple of somebody to come in and say, Hey, let me do this for you and kind of run that whole show. I, it's something that I've, I've been thinking about a little bit, but uh, how do how do smaller companies do this? Because, you know, we're probably all familiar with the sort of like, hey, I'm new here, comment on Slack or Twist. But like, how can new companies, you know, that maybe don't have the budget to fly everybody out or fly a new employee out, which I love that idea. But what are some of the small ways that people can do this in their companies, even if they don't have the budget to do these kind of like big things? A, a couple super small things that we've done. The majority of what we've done are are small little activities like this. Like uh, when somebody new is hired, we ask them to share ten interesting facts about themselves. And this is interesting because um, it's not like they're put on the spot and say like, okay, like imagine in a co-located office, like you walk in your first day and the you have the office conference room and there's twenty people in there and you're hey Miko, stand up and tell us ten interesting things about yourself, like you'd be nervous. You'd, you'd be like, uh, I like blue, you know, I'm uh, I like hats. You'd, you, you'd be totally nervous and you wouldn't really know what to say, but we do this in the written form. We give people time to think about it. They know it's like their first task when they, when they first join the company. So they write out these 10 really interesting facts, like, like long stories sometimes. And this has been amazing because every single time you share 10 interesting stories about yourself, like almost everybody in the company can connect with you on one of those things connected with people who are like, yeah, I love, you know, I love travel. I used to live in Spain or, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning to scuba dive right now, or I love, you know, cooking pasta handmade or whatever. And it's like, Hey, we have this in common. And it suddenly builds this like, like camaraderie right off the bat. So super easy to do cheap, completely free and, uh, and makes people feel welcome right away. We also built out some like automated bots within Twist and you could do this in Slack or, or wherever um, where like we get these prompts where it's like, uh, hey, like it pings the whole company like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Or, hey, what did you do last weekend? Or, 
random questions like, uh, hey, what do you put on your toast? Which was a super interesting one because apparently people all around the world put some really weird shit on their toast. Um, and like just just these things to start these conversations, like this guy shared that he's started painting and he shared some pictures of his paintings and you're like, man, these are amazing. And it turns into this whole conversation or people share pictures of their kids and you're suddenly like brought into their life. Um, so these are like free things you can do that take very little time and effort and create some human connection. And I don't think they're like groundbreaking ideas necessarily, but it can be very easy to get caught up in the productivity and the work and get really good at work and forget and sort of neglect that like there's a place for this kind of stuff in the in the workplace. I love it, dude. Well, listen, Chase, this has been we've already been going for uh almost an hour, I think. So uh let people know I, I feel like we can talk about this just for forever, but I want to talk a little bit about the podcast and let people know about it. So uh, where can people find out more about the podcast? What are some of your favorite episodes so far? And uh, why should people go over there uh, and check it out? Yeah, thanks, Mika. Um, so yeah, we talked a lot about remote work and, and stuff here today. And that is like certainly a part of my professional life and something I'm passionate about for sure. Um, but the into is uh, travel, living in other countries, like really immersing in other cultures and, and diving deep into those countries. So uh, About Abroad is the podcast. Um, it's aboutabroad.com and it's on all platforms. And one of the reasons that I love your podcast so much is because you're trying to give like practical advice and inspiration to people on how to build their remote life. And in a lot of ways, I want to accomplish some of those same things. And I, what I really want to focus on is like helping people believe that they can move to another country. They can go settle for a year in Bali if they want or spend, you know, move, move their life to Barbados or settle in the South of France or whatever it is. Um, all these things are possible. They're becoming more and more possible. And it's just about navigating the, the bureaucracy and having some of the inspiration to do so. So that's what the show is all about. It's kind of born from my struggles of visa hopping a lot and, and trying to spend a lot of time in Europe, but having to bounce in and out of Europe with a 50 pound Siberian Husky, which was not that easy. And, um, and so I just wanted to show people like, yeah, this is, this is doable. And I bring on guests who have basically, most of them have settled like semi-permanently or permanently in a foreign country. Some of them are more like digital nomads, but they're like, hey, I'm spending a year here or six months here. Here's how you can do it. Um, and a lot of people have like tools, projects, services that they offer that could help you do that as well. So um, that's sort of the genesis of the show. And uh, and some of my favorite episodes, I've, God, there's there's so many. Um, I hope I'll get you on there, Mitko, to tell your story and, and uh, share. I would be happy to. Seeing. I'm seeing your pictures of of Bulgaria, and I'm like, dude, I, we got to get we got to get you on to talk about Bulgaria. This looks <laughs> awesome. Um, so anyway, there's there's quite a few. I just launched season two a few weeks ago. Um, I've started recording season three, and uh, and so yeah, go go check it out, and uh, let me know what you guys think. Any feedback is more than welcomed. I'm curious about you know through your experience with the podcast and kind of talking to a lot of these people. Um, something that I've been thinking about recently is. Is the idea or the fear of or everything that comes along as expectations of, of being a digital nomad sort of 
scaring people away because I think that like this idea, digital nomad is obviously the most clickbaity version of this life that we live. It's sort of the, the hashtag that we all use in order to connect, but 10% of us live as digital nomads, right? Like I identify as a digital nomad yet I have home bases, right? Where I go and I stay there. And like, I think like if more people understood that that's what a majority of us do, it would be a lot more like palatable to those people. What, what do you think? Like, have you, like, have you had a similar experience or realization during the podcast? Yeah. So, so digital, I, I completely agree with you. Like digital nomad has this unfortunate negative connotation tied to it that you're just like sitting on a beach with a laptop with like a coconut, you know, drink in hand. Yeah. And, uh, right. You're not Which really we all working. do every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I get that picture, you know, I'm, I, it's getting posted for sure, but that's not the day to yeah. day. Like, uh, you know, I, I normally go to my co I have a home, I go to my co-working at my dedicated desk and I, and I work, you know, from like, it's kind of boring in in uh, in the day to day, but the cool thing is like, we really, have the ability to, Hey, I got a wild hair and wanted to go down to this cool beach town and in the van. And so I can go do that. I can keep working and not, uh, not have to like change everything to be able to do that. And I think that's the, the real reality and people are coming around to that, but like, uh, yeah, there's definitely like this sort of negative connotation that some people have, I think, particularly in the professional world about, digital nomadism and uh and i would love to change that like i would love for people to see that there's more people like like us that have like real jobs and real real careers and real lives and uh and we're not just like you know bouncing around enjoying life all day every day yeah there's actually like an article that i've been working on for a little while that i've been able to like wrap up which is essentially like proposing that there's a missing link between expats and digital nomads and it's the reality that most of us actually exist in it's just that we jump into these like periods of digital nomadism from time to time so uh yeah, yeah. i totally feel you on that well go ahead oh i was just gonna say that that's really something that i like to get into on the on the show is like like i don't know where that line is you know if you've been living in a city in mexico for six months like are you living there are you passing through digital nomading like I, I don't really know. I don't know if I really care, but I love talking about this on the show. Like, how do you feel? Do you feel tied to the community? Like, what is, do you have your daily rituals? Do you speak the local language? Do you, do you dive in and like, like, how do you feel in that place? And, um, and when does it become home or just a place you're stopping through? So yeah, these are, these are all elements of the show. Like I, some people are digital nomads, but it's on a spectrum and who right. knows? Well, Chase, where can people find you online? I mean, like, you know, we, we've got the podcast. Everybody should go check out aboutabroad.com. Uh, but uh, where do you hang out on social? Where can people go find you? So I'm trying to be a better social citizen. Um, <laughs> it's not uh, it's not baked into my DNA very well. But um, Instagram is the best. Uh, I actually just today made the decision to shut down the, uh, the about.abroad handle and just consolidate everything to my personal handle. I don't know if you made that same decision. Um, I've had conversations with my wife who's, you know, kind of does a lot of social media stuff. And I'm like, I don't know, I have this, that remote life handle that like, I really like building like the asset of the brand on there, but then like, I'm just yeah. so much more naturally myself on, you know? So it's like, yeah, I feel you. Yeah. Dude, this, this, this just happened. Like we, I just got back from a trip to, I was up for a couple of weeks in the Pyrenees, just gorgeous landscapes, very cool experience working while I was there. Um, and like, I'm looking at pictures and I'm like, 
does this belong on my personal one? Does it belong on about a brat? And I just decided during that trip, like, I don't want to give one more second of thought right. to that decision-making process. So I'm just going to consolidate. And uh, so DC at DC Warrington is the best place to uh, find me on, on Instagram. And, uh, and I'll be sharing and consolidating and moving all the, all the content over to that handle. Um, and LinkedIn is where you can find me professionally. I try to keep it simple with those two and just, uh, and um, I'm pretty active on, on LinkedIn about on the remote work front. So um, yeah, connect with me there. And yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to keep the discussion going on either, uh, either topic. Awesome, man. Well, it has been uh, a, an absolute pleasure having you here. It's so much fun to finally uh, get to connect after talking online for such a long time. But uh, hope to have you back on here sometime soon, man. And uh, all the best. Stay safe in that beautiful uh, Spanish countryside. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah, really appreciate it. It was it was super fun. Exactly what I what I thought it would be. And um, yeah, happy to happy to finally get on the show. Thanks a lot. 